Welcome and thanks so much for tuning in today. Here's the thing, you guys. This is what you need to know about more Jody. I'm the girl who says what everyone is thinking, unapologetically myself, all the time. The goal of this podcast is to help you go unfiltered. We use so many covers to hide our true selves, and it's time to stop living your life according to what the ideal police think you should be doing and step into who you were created to be. More vulnerable, more authentic, and more free. Dr. Shannon Morgenstern is on the podcast today, and I'm super excited. She's a naturopathic doctor with a private practice in Calgary, Alberta, who focuses on digestive complaints, hormones, and fatigue. Guys, this is stuff we need to know more about. Her goal is to help make the digestion and lives of especially millennial women as happy and healthy as they can be. Dr. Shannon has spoken on multiple stages with community groups, CrossFit teams, and national associations on topics related to gut health and digestion, environmental medicine for healthcare professionals, and stress management. She also has a monthly membership called Food as Medicine, where she shares her knowledge of gardening, preserving, helping make healthy food delicious, foraging, and even a little DIY medicine with participants to encourage true health and lasting well-being. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back, Dr. Shannon. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm really good. A little chilly here in Calgary, but otherwise good. You know, we're cold on the island. It's one degree as well. Something to keep in mind. It's like minus 40 here, so... (laughs) And I think it's like minus 51 the other day. I was like, I legit at this point, I like, I have an Alberta heart, like, you know, 36 years, you don't get rid of that. And I'm like, my heart like literally aches for you guys. As much as I love bragging at this time of year, I'm like, I don't even want to say anything because I actually feel really empathetic. I find your posts very offensive. So I know, (laughs) I know. I'm so sorry. We are cold though. Like we are, we are like not warm right now, at least. It's that. It's that damp cold. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It really chills your bones. The girls at the office always say that. I'm like, I'll take you and I'll put you in Alberta and you will die in a hot minute, like in a cold minute, you'll freeze to death. They're such big babies. So no, I'm super excited to have you talk about hormones today because I know that you've wanted to chat about this. This is, this is something you're kind of passionate about. Am I right? Especially as a woman, I feel like we all should be passionate about it. And I feel like we've definitely been sold our false bill of goods. And I feel like we've really been tricked into thinking a lot of things about our hormones. And so I'm, I'm super excited to do this episode. Well, and I have to say what I think is at the root of this topic for me is just wellness. Like, yes, you know, and I, and I think so often, like I, we're going to get into it a little bit, but our hormones are so impacted by pushing, like you would say. Um, and this is something that even in listening to the book um, by what is his name? Mr. Gabermate. Gabermate. Yes. Gabermate. Yeah. When the body says no has been just so challenging for me. And I just want to yeah. love, love myself. And I, I want all women to look at it from a standpoint every day of like, how can I love my body today? How can I, you know, be kind in how I care for it? So I'm excited to, um, to talk about this with you. And then I want you to know I'm pretty qualified because I read like a book that was literally an inch and a half thick called managing your fertility. I don't even heard of that book. It's like, it's like a giant one. Have you ever seen that book? Is it pink? Yes. Is it called taking charge of your fertility? Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Tony, Tony Rexler. Yeah. It's, it's a goodie. I literally recommended it to a patient yesterday. Well, and I know it's, it's fairly old, but when I was not wanting to be on birth control and we were first married, I used that 
that their methods in there of, um, <laughs> this is going to sound really gross, of like con comparing discharge and things like that to know, you know, if you were fertile, if you were ovulating, taking your temperature every morning, there's just like, what was cool about it though, is that you really learn to understand what's actually happening in your body. And then you're able when things go wonky to be like, Hey doctor, I know my body so well that I know this happens every month and this is what it looks like. And this is what it looks like on paper. And so that book is one I recommend to women trying to understand their fertility and, and just their, their female system as well. And so I'm basically like a doctor, just kidding. I did read that book though. And it really, it was a really awesome book. Yeah. And I think it's a really nice book because not only do I recommend it for women who are trying to get pregnant, but women who are trying not to get pregnant. <laughs> so yeah. that's probably, you're probably falling into one of those categories if you're listening to this right now as a woman. And so um, I think too, the thing that I am so passionate about with really every topic that we've talked about is really that connection piece. So whether yeah. it's, you know, connection with our food or those sorts of things or connection with ourselves, especially with hormones is, is just so important. We need to know and understand, I think what's going on in our bodies, especially as women and to really sort of take back that, that feminine power and, and yeah. kind of claim it as our own and not have male medical doctors talk over us and tell us we don't know what we're talking about when it's an experience that we're having in our bodies. So. Yeah. And if you're not connected, you can't advocate for yourself because you just really don't know. Yeah. Right. So we'll start today with the questions that I got off the gram um, that people sure. wanted to know about hormones. So first one, my husband says, will the Oilers make the playoffs? I was like, oh my gosh, definitely not. <laughs> you mean, will McDavid make the playoffs? Because yeah, I feel like exactly. that's the real question. Um, well, imagine the stress know, he lives with. Good grief. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, best of luck to the Oilers. I feel like they being from Edmonton will always hold a special place in my heart. Um, go McDavid. I hope, I hope he does well for things. Um, but Brendan is a big fan of the Canucks and Ooh. they are definitely not making the playoffs. You mean here. the Kasaks? So, the Kasaks. Yeah, that's things what we call them in our house. house. Yeah. No, it's a rough time and it's always a rough time being an Oiler fan usually, but yeah, hopefully yes. Jonathan, hopefully they make the playoffs. Um, okay. So this actually, this question comes from your mama, my auntie. Um, how do hormones affect your skin after menopause? Yeah, so it's really interesting. So hormones play a really sort of key role. Um, the biggest thing is sort of like the, the plumping of the tissues, really, I would call it. And so when we lose those levels, especially of estrogen and things like that, when the ovaries are kind of slowing down and, and closing up shop, that really starts to mean that then we start to see thinning skin and stuff like that. Um, and, and that's then when too, we'll get issues, um, especially like we'll see a lot of vaginal dryness or like atrophy right. and things like that. And so it's definitely a, a big thing that a lot of women deal with that not a lot of women talk about either. Um, so it, it really is, um, we sort of start to lose collagen and things like that. And yeah, it's, it's really that like plumpy, firm, like nice, thick skin, um, that, that can really be affected. And then certainly sometimes too, we can see, um, like acne sort of stuff come back when things get a little imbalanced and that's kind of for a larger variety of reasons than like just menopause itself, but it can kind of start off some really annoying skin afflictions too. That's just lots to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we can, you know, and with a lot of the stuff, we can optimize things for everything. And so the goal is to just sort of make it as, as painless as possible. No, for sure. Does taking collagen help? It, it can a little bit for sure. Yeah. Um, it, it can make a really big difference. Cause that's kind of what I've wondered. And then this is like my own question, but as we age, would you also recommend that we're taking, um, 
like having gelatin and stuff like that for our joints? Or do you think that actually makes a big difference? I think it, it sort of the, the short answer is it depends. Um, I know that's not a great answer, but it really does depend. So, you know, it's how, how hard are you pushing things? Are you like crazy athletic and, or doing CrossFit or like really pushing joints past the point where you're breaking down things quicker, um, those kinds of things. And, um, how nutritionally well are you, how, how are things balanced in your body? Um, how well are you absorbing nutrients through digestion? Um, so all of that can make a really big difference for sure, um, with everything, but I definitely don't think that, um, things like gelatin, gelatin or collagen or those sorts of things are, are generally discouraged. Um, but we just want to make sure with both of those things too, that you're getting really good, clean sourcing of them. Right. Um, so like looking for, or it's like healthy and, and happy animals and stuff that things are coming from. No, for sure. Okay. Kate wants to know, and probably 95% of all women, um, thyroid and weight loss. How can you tell if it's your thyroid or if you just really like food that's causing your weight loss? Um, I would assume that probably the question is like the struggle with weight loss. That's what we really commonly see with thyroid stuff, especially when we sort of are looking at like hypothyroid kinds of things. So one really important thing, and I was literally, I've had this conversation actually multiple times this week already, and it's already Wednesday, but I don't think MDs are picky enough about thyroid as they need to be. So the reference range to look at your, what's called your thyroid stimulating hormone or your TSH, in my opinion, is too, it's too big. So I'm really picky when it comes to looking at thyroid levels for not only TSH, but also your thyroid hormones for free T3 and free T4. So it's really important that those numbers aren't just like mediocre, okay, but we really want them to be optimal because they can have a huge impact on, on not just ability to lose weight, but on your mood, on how your skin and your hair feels on how your, um, your, your body is dealing with and processing things. So we see a lot of constipation. We see a lot of weight gain. We see a lot of dry skin. We see hair falling out. Um, so it would be looking at those symptoms and say, Hey, like, do you have any other thyroid symptoms? Um, and then also looking at, um, your labs too. And then hugely, I feel like it links back to everything, but like how stressed out are you? Cause I'll often mm -hmm. explain to patients that the thyroid is sort of like the baby in the family and the adrenal glands, which control your, a lot of your stress hormones are sort of like the parents. So, you know, at some point, you know, the, the parents start freaking out and, and can't manage things. And then eventually it starts affecting the baby. So when our stress hormones are sort of all out of control, then eventually it starts affecting the thyroid. And so we really commonly see that too. And so again, it's like a bit of a complicated answer, but yeah, checking labs, seeing if you've got any other sort of associated things going on, um, like stress, um, can, can really give us a better idea of what's going on. And, um, I mean, there's a lot of really delicious food out there. So that's also a bit of a hard question to answer if you just really like food, but um, thyroid is a huge one for women. So I'm going to say, Kate, you actually do love food and I know you, and I also love food. Um, what I was going to say though, speaking to my own specific um, or telling you my own example, when I went to you, Dr. Shannon, back in 2015 or something, I had my lab work done and then I had it released and sent to you to review what is the scale when you have your TSH measured? What is the scale from like, literally you're out of TSH to your, like is, what's the scale range again, the numbers? So I like optimally to have your TSH sitting between 0 0.5 and 2.0. 
Okay. And then, because I know that when, when the doctor had said mine was okay, and then I took it to you, you said to me, it's really low, Jody. It's not low enough to medicate me, but it's, it's, it's low enough that I don't feel great. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? And that's why I'm so picky about blood work is because there's such a big difference between, oh my gosh, things are so crazy. You might die because this lab level is, is nuts versus like, no, it's like within the range. So like, you're probably fine. It's like, yeah, but like, it's way more nuanced than that. And, and again, I don't just want to help my patients aim for fine. I want to help them aim for fantastic. Well, and that's what I love about naturopathic medicine is it's not a bandaid. It's to, to like heal you and, you know, change you from your core versus just like putting a bandaid on it. So I love that. And I think that's so important. So definitely Kate, you should be getting your blood work tested and then reviewing it. And you can book that with Dr. Shannon because she's an Alberta naturopath. So there you go. Um, Next thing, this isn't a question on here, but what we just talked about kind of feeds into it. Adrenal fatigue is like a really big problem. Um, What are the signs that someone has adrenal fatigue? So I just want to start off by saying that this is a a term that is contested and like it's, it's, it's more nuanced than just calling it adrenal fatigue, because really from a like Western medical perspective, um, things have to be quite bad before we either say adrenals are, are high or low. Okay. But again, it's more of a nuance in there. And so we often look at the whole axis. So the HPA, um, the hypothalamus, the pituitary, like all those glands that are like working with, um, all of our hormones and producing everything. And, and again, stress is like a huge piece of that. So, you know, your body, when you're super stressed out and overwhelmed, will use up more nutrients. Um, it, it just like it, it's emptying your gas tanks of everything. And so, um, often there can be nutrient deficiencies when you're stressed out, you're not eating as well, you're not exercising as well. And so it just like starts to compound everything. Then your thyroid's going off, then it's starting to affect your sex hormones. And so really like stress in and of itself, whether or not we want to like call it adrenal fatigue, um, often sort of in chart notes and things like that, we'll call it HPA axis dysfunction as sort of a a bit of a more kind of technical term sort of. Um, But it's, it's such a huge key piece that, you know, with us living in modern society and, and sort of trying to stand or accomplish all these crazy things every single day and, you know, do this and do that and keep up with that and keep up with that. And um, I think it just, it's hugely affecting our bodies and we're seeing the results of that in, in patients because they're really struggling with a lot of things. I know, I know one of the ones was even noise and that noise is a real problem when you have adrenal fatigue, like you, I don't know, have you heard that before about noise sensitivity? Yeah. And I mean, that can be a lot of different things. There are sensory processing disorders. There's a really interesting, it's often a genetic linked condition called misophonia. And so it's just, you're that much more sensitive to um, too much, particularly like noise stimulation or like people eating or like chewing loudly or those sorts of things. Um, I have it's a that real thing, for though. sure. Yeah. I, I super have it, but um, it's just often that like overstimulation, you know? So it's like, things are moving too quickly. We're like scanning through social media. We're looking at a bajillion things at once. There's 10 ads every six minutes on TV. And I think it's just, our systems get so overwhelmed and, and, um, it's, it's definitely not uncommon to have people feel really then oversensitive to just like 
too much stimulation. I think that's me for sure. And even because my day, like I had lead so many people that I have people coming to me, like emails, phone calls, texting, messaging all day. And it's what I notice is it's really hard if I have evening plans to make conversation and I'm an absolute hundred percent extrovert and it's hard for me. And that's where I know that um, I have to be more um, careful in how I protect my evenings because people, what's interesting is Pete, you like, even the people you love are like, Oh no, you can just, you know, just hang out. But if I'm like not entertaining or talking in a group setting, it feels weird. Right. And yeah. so, but that's, I just can't be on, I can't be on all day and then on in the evenings. And so I think protecting ourselves when we know that we feel like that, or in those settings, when we go out, we feel like we have to, you know, be the one that like carves the conversation and that sort of thing maybe not doing that on a weekday, right? Like saving that for a Saturday night or something, just because it's, it's too hard. I find that hard to entertain in the evenings. Totally. And I think the other thing too, is like really looking at what your work schedule looks like and trying to, trying to make it so that things are more efficient in general, because there have been so many studies done. And even people who think they're fantastic multitaskers, they like, they are not, we are terrible at multitasking. And so to have to jump from email to a phone call to a meeting back to you know and just like constantly doing that all day long means we're so inefficient at things and so I actually had this conversation multiple times this week already too but it's really like time blocks where it's like okay I'm only going to check my email Mm -hmm. at 10 minutes to the hour every hour and then the rest of the time okay it's like this hour I've got a meeting the rest of the time and this this hour I'm going to work on this and so um, those efficiencies can also make a really big difference because it it helps to kind of train your brain to know what's coming rather than trying to desperately jump back and forth between a whole bunch of different things. Oh my gosh. That is like literally such good advice because I, I do, I feel super discombobulated and it's interesting too, because we praise things like praise women for being selfless, praise women for multitasking. And it's really like, I'm about to drive myself crazy. Right. So we shouldn't be praising that. And so it should be we should be praising people when they don't get back to you immediately because you know what, they were focused on something else for right now. Right. So that's really, really great advice. Um, so yeah, it's having those personal and work boundaries is what we call them. So it's like, okay, you know, especially I'm seeing this so much these days, but especially with people working at home, um, with COVID they are, they're struggling to have those home versus work boundaries. And so they're working way more hours or they're not taking a full lunch break or those kinds of things. And um, I think those boundaries are really important to have because when we ignore them and when we keep going and pushing through things, that's when, you know, just like the book, when the body says, no, we start to see the body break. Well, and there are a lot of war- warning signs before that body actually says no. And that's where I feel like we need yeah. to be more intuitive and be listening, right, to what our body's asking for. Um, I was on my second round of 75 hard and I actually quit it last week. So we're recording this now. It's February 10th. Um, this won't come out until March, but I had to quit. And it was like my one, I have like tennis elbow. My, my left calf is like popping. And I just knew I was like, my body is saying no. And I have to listen to it because I don't want it to get more serious. Right. And, and learning what, what does wisdom look like? And what is your intuition? What's your body telling you? And, and then honoring with what it's telling you. Right. But it's, we're so deterred, bound and determined to do everything the way we want to do it when we want to do it. We're so stubborn. Right. Um, But it's just to our detriment hugely to our detriment. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's huge. Okay. So I'm, this is Kara. I'm aging 
I'm done having kids. I've had my tubes removed. Why are my periods still so bad? Do you have any idea? So there's kind of a few things. I'll often ask women how periods were pre-kids. And the sad part is a lot of them don't know because they're either had an IUD in um, or were on birth control. And so it's like, okay, like oh. think back to when you were like 13 years old, like how were your periods, right? Because it's like really, oh, you know, I, I had really bad cramps when I was a kid. So I got put on birth control and then I didn't stop birth control until we were thinking about babies. And then I had kids and then I was like back on birth control. Right. So part of the struggle is like, okay, like, how, how good or not were hormones pre-kids? And often so many women get put on hormonal options for either um, IUDs or oral contraceptives or like the shot or those kinds of things because there's issues that really are, are kind of being band-aided. Um, and, and so it's, it's really looking to say, okay, there's probably imbalance there. And so we just need to get things sorted out and feeling better. Sometimes women though, will have fantastic periods and then have kids and everything gets super screwed up. And so that can also be the case too, but there's actually lots we can do to help balance hormones and, and get things feeling better in your body. But it's not just balancing the hormones. Again, it's about looking at kind of your whole life situation, you know, like, um, how are the kids doing? Are, are you, are you kind of overscheduled for everybody? Are you going from this to that, to this, to that, and your body's struggling to keep up? Like all that's really important. It's not just about giving you or, you know, a supplement to support and balance your hormones. It's like, okay, let's look at your stress levels. Let's look at how you're sleeping. Let's look at how you're, you're adding nutrition to your body every day. Like, are you hydrated? Are you drinking too much coffee or wine? Like, so right. it, it, it's, it's not just like one quick, easy answer, but there, there is a lot we can do to balance hormones if, if that's the reason why things are feeling so off. Something else too is that when I had, um, like I think I switched to using a Diva cup probably five years ago. So my kids are 10 and eight. So, um, th- but when I did that, it was because I was like going through a super in an hour and I'm like, this is ridiculous. And then actually what I noticed is we don't know, well, we do, but we don't. Um, we're not totally aware of the toxins that are released into our female reproductive area with things like tampons and stuff either and, and the bleach and what have you. But once I started using a diva cup, I actually had way less cramping. And so I don't know if that has anything to do with that, but that's just my recommendation to people too, is to give that a try. Yeah. It's really interesting. Everybody's so different. I find that I don't like using the diva cup because it like makes my cervix cramp from like the oh. the little like suction that it gets onto it. Oh, yeah. So yeah. for me, it, it's been really interesting that, that I definitely like the idea better from a toxicant perspective. Um, but if you're wanting to use either pads or tampons, cause Diva cup either doesn't work for you or it's just, you're struggling right. because you're feeling like it's messy or those kinds of things. It definitely takes some getting used to for sure. Definitely take some home days before you go out with it and need to change it while you're out. Cause you got to figure that stuff out ahead of time. Um, but um, it's, it's definitely really important to look for organic cotton that hasn't been bleached. So for your pads or tampons. So that's, um, that's generally what I use. Um, but heavy bleeding can be a sign of hormonal imbalance as well. And so often there's things we need to do um, to sort that out because going through a super in an hour is crazy. And then we'll start affecting things like your iron levels and then you're going to get tired and your hair is going to start to fall out and all those kinds of things. And I'm going to be sad and bald. 
Yeah. Right. Sad and bald and tired. Sad and bald and tired. But the other thing I was going to say is there are some really good stories that come from using a diva cup. And so I have to say, I still want to do like a whole diva cup humor episode, just a comedy hour um, regarding the diva cup, because yeah, you're definitely right. That's good, good advice to practice using it at home for a little bit. Um, But, and the first time I tried to take it out, I also did not break the seal. And I was like, this is worse than giving birth. And then I realized, read the instructions, always break the seal. You can't just pull something that's suctioned to your insides. You can't just pull it out. The other thing is, is that my sister and I were arguing about how much blood we were we were losing. And I said, you can measure it with a diva cup. Like it's, yeah, it's it's got increments in it. Yeah. And it's awkward to measure it because you do have to squeeze it to have it come out. So, but you can still get the gist of how much your blood you're losing. So that's kind of cool too, because once I switched to that, it was actually, I thought I was losing way more blood than I was. And my period is done literally almost after three days with the diva cup where with a before that with tampons it was more like five like it would drag on so I feel like it's like catching it and letting it go catching it and letting it go and that's just me like my own little noticings um the other thing I really want to say about diva cup is like please please um make sure that you clean them between your periods properly do you want to tell us why because I don't know that because I like the, well it's enough. It's just sort of a, a breeding ground for bacteria. And if there's, there's often yeast in the vaginal tract as well. And so um, it's really important to make sure that, you know, we're not worrying about um, any infections or things like that that can flare things for sure. Okay. So I have a crazy story, which I'm going to tell because why not? Um, so I was putting peppermint oil on my knees one night after I'd gone running and then I forgot and I went and changed my diva cup. Oh, no. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've done a terrible thing. I was like, it's gone very wrong. And, and it was super scary at first, right? Because peppermint oil burns and then yeah. it cools. So it burned. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was like, it cooled and my cramps were gone. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Then we had one of our episodes where you talked <laughs> about people. And I think you meant orally. <laughs> not vaginally, but you were talking about orally ingesting, um, those oils, those essential oils, how dangerous that can be. It made me think it's probably really dangerous to have essential oils in your uterus. Am I right? I would think that could really mess with your balance. Mess with the balance for sure. And, um, the mucosa, like mucosal tissue is sort of like um, especially in your vagina is like in your mouth or in your stomach or those kinds of things. It's, it's a little bit different, but, um, stuff is so well absorbed. Um, and so it's, it's particularly, it'll get into your system really, really fast and can be really, really damaging to the, the mucosal tissue. Um, yeah, as, yeah, so- as a side note that probably like nobody wanted to know, um, there are people who, no, I don't know. Just cut this out from the podcast. I feel like that's going to be like a stupid thing I was going to say. It doesn't no, even matter. Say it, say but like it. as and a side I- note, just, yeah, you can decide. But there are there are some women who are um, like drug addicts and things and they'll actually put things on tampons and then insert them because it's so fast gets into the system. Well, after I had babies, after I had my second son, <laughs> before they recalled the drug, I had a C-section and they gave me, oh my gosh, it was Voltaren but it was up my bum. And then when, when I left the hospital, I was like, I'd like to take some of that with me. And they were like, 
you want to take a suppository home? Like, we'll give you pills. I was like, no, I was like, the suppository takes all the pain right away. And so it's so funny. And they were like, we don't actually give those to take home. My sister was like, no one asks to take that home, Joey. <laughs> but it, but it was like, the pain was gone so instantly. Yeah. Right. So it's funny that you say that, but yeah, definitely don't oil your knees and then put your diva cup in because a lot of people it's, it's a really funny warning, but a lot of people are like, we all put on essential oils at night and I'm putting lavender on after my shower. So it's just something to consider if you are using a diva cup to make sure your hands are, like you said, totally clean. Your diva cup is clean and not covered in yeah. essential oils accidentally. Although yeah, it was also, wonderful at the time. Yeah. And also as like a foodie, that you haven't cut up a whole bunch of garlic or like jalapeno peppers or anything like that. Cause that stuff's going to burn the mucosal tissue as well. Oh my gosh. I didn't even think of that, but good point. Okay. <laughs> so, um, one girl wrote and said, I had a bilateral tubal removal side note. I thought they just tied tubes, but everyone seems to be getting their tubes removed. Um, post giving birth to twins. My body has never been the same. Why do I feel so messed up? I feel like the first thing, and I'm being a little bit facetious, but sort of not, would be twins. So <laughs> that's that may be the first the struggle thing. is real. Yeah. 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 The struggle of not one baby, but two. Um, but same thing, you know, it, it, I don't think it necessarily has anything to do with the, the tubal removal itself, because the nice part, at least about that is that, um, versus like a total hysterectomy where they're removing the ovaries is that you're still getting the hormone releases from the ovaries. So it could have just been pregnancy kind of all by itself that, that things have changed and just kind of haven't, pardon me, haven't come back to a normal regulated feeling really good level since then. Um, we see that a lot. So it's, it's definitely not an uncommon thing, but I don't think it has anything to do with the tubal removal itself. Probably just like call your mom, call a friend, leave your house, have a break from your twins. Also, also good, good advice. Um, okay. So this is mine. Why is ovulation so painful as you age? I always joke that like when I get, I get really bad cramps when I ovulate and I know I'm ovulating because I know what my ovulation discharge looks like because of that book that I read. Um, and so I know that I'm ovulating. And then I always joke that I'm like an old hen dropping an egg and it's just like dropping this egg into a dusty hollow. And then, um, yeah. And so, yeah. Is that like a common thing as you age? Is it, or is it just like specific to different people? Do you have any idea? Yeah, I would say it's, it's not that uncommon but it's also not super common so I would say like maybe less than 10% of patients I see would experience um, ovulation pain or they call it missile smits or some fancy German word that I can't say um, but basically yeah it's just pain when you ovulate and so it, it's the thought that potentially it could be that the the ovary is just feeling a little bit more sensitive as it's like the egg is bursting out of it um, that, that it's happened once your luteinizing hormone has surged. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's not super common. I get it too. Um, it's really interesting because then I can always tell which particular ovary I'm ovulating from. Um, so it's always, it's always, I always have to check, especially when it's on the right side. Cause I'm like, is it a kidney stone? Do I have appendicitis <laughs> or am I just ovulating? Uh, it's it's a good question to ask because there a lot of the things that are on the right side and the lower, lower right quadrant there. So, um, they, they don't have like a super good answer for why some women get it and some don't like, I've definitely had patients and certainly like I've done a lot of hormone balancing and optimizing and things like that. So like I have a pretty optimized 
period and despite that still get ovulation pain. So I, they, they don't really know why it happens for some versus others. Well, and then I think as you age, your period cycle shortens. Am I right? Like mine definitely has. It shouldn't. Oh, it shouldn't? What? No. Oh my gosh, I'm dying. Yeah. I went from 32 days because in that book, it said that the, the longer your cycle, the more fertile you typically are. And they said that, um, so I went from 32 days to, and that's where a lot of women think that they're ovulating at day 14. And then they're like, oh, I'm never getting pregnant, but you're actually ovulating at like day 16 or day 18. Yeah. And you don't know. Right. Um, and so those natural methods will be like, cause a doctor would be like, yep, you're having trouble. You're not ovulating on day 14. And it's just that your body's not a cookie cutter body. Right. Um, yeah. but then I, but now I'm like 25 days and I'm like, I'm always ovulating. Like, <laughs> I feel like I just ovulated and had my period. I'm having it again. And actually one of the other people who wrote in said that as well, that theirs was, they didn't say that theirs used to be longer, but they said that their cycles like 25 days, super short now. And she's like 42, that girl that wrote in. So likely I, if, if, if you guys were patients coming to see me, I would probably want to be balancing things, especially like I've been sort of writing chart notes in my head as we've been talking. So especially if you're getting like cramping and your period is shortening and like all those kinds of things, there's, there's definitely um, some optimizing we could do to sort that out because really um, our periods should be pretty chill and pretty easy and sort of surprising in that um, we don't have super obvious, like crazy, ridiculous mood swing PMS stuff to know that our period's coming. We shouldn't have a ton of breast tenderness. We shouldn't have big cramping. Um, it should be pretty chill and pretty easy. And, and I feel like a lot of women have sort of been tricked into thinking that like periods are super awful and they should be awful. And that's just the way that it is, but it's not. My grade four teacher, Mrs. Ryertruck, Ryertruck, shout out to Mrs. Ryertruck. Um, <laughs> She's probably passed on. I feel like she was really old back then. But anyways, she was a wonderful woman and she got me so excited to become a lady. And I still, isn't that nice? I like legitimately like came down and told everybody in grade seven, which I'm sure you could imagine, um, told the whole family (laughs) when I got my period, because I was like, I'm a, I'm a woman. Like I was so pumped. And so, so much of it is about mindset, which sounds crazy, but I literally still feel thankful because my Nana died of uterine cancer. So when everything is functioning, I'm like, I'm so thankful that I have a period. I'm so thankful that, you know, I don't have endometriosis at this moment or, you know, any of those issues and stuff right now. So I think it's being thankful too, that our body's doing its job. And I think that can kind of change your mindset. And I know I am a delight when I'm on my period, but I do say, (laughs) I'm sure my husband would, I'm sure, um, give a testimony to that, but I, I get really whiny and I really would like grease. Those are like my only things, but I'm not like crazy or angry or anything like that. Like I said, I'm just a delight, but no, that's interesting that we should probably, you know, look at some of those things that makes me think, um, what are the signs that you're heading towards menopause or perimenopause? Would it just be like no periods or is it just hot flashes or the classic symptoms? Or is there anything we'd look for to know if we're heading towards that? Yeah, that's a good question. So I would say a lot of women will get super obvious, like swings in periods, like one month, it'll be like 15 days and then they get a period again. And the next month it'll be, it's almost like they've missed a period and it's like 45 days long and they're starting to get night sweats and hot flashes and, you know, all these kinds of things. So it's like really big, obvious stuff, but really if, if we can support things as women are sort of, um, aging and sort of like, especially if they know when their mom, 
um, went through menopause, that can sometimes give us a bit of an indication of whether or not you may be an early or a late kind of menopause sort of woman. Um, but um, it's, it's really, yeah, it, it's not always super obvious. And really, I find when things are super balanced and body's feeling really good and things aren't stressed out, um, it's, it's way more, um, it's just a way gentler entry into sort of the next phase of life where, you know, your periods will sort of get lighter and lighter, and then you kind right. of start missing and then you might get one here and you might get one there, but really we don't want those symptoms to be super huge and awful. And there's absolutely things we can do to minimize all that stuff too. So I don't want women fearing sort of that next phase of life because it's, it's natural and it's, it's, it's just supporting the body the best that we can so that um, it's not struggling a whole bunch with those symptoms. The way you explained it though, it kind of comes in like a wrecking ball. Halston, you're like can for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then there was a girl, like, I don't know if you remember Suzanne Summers. Do you know who that is? Yeah. Celebrity. She did all that talk and I, I didn't pay attention to it because I was like super young. I feel like it was probably 15 years ago, but her whole theory was that you could, you could supplement yourself to literally feel like you were 25. And I'm like, is that true? Cause if so, I'd like to feel 25 now, but I don't think that's yeah, true. And I, I don't know like a ton of, um, sort of what she was pushing from what I recall I believe she did write a book at some point about like environmental toxicant stuff oh um, but I I would assume from that she might be talking about like bioidentical hormones and it really differs depending on who you ask and which practitioner you see their thoughts on bioidentical hormones um that can you can add in once sort of women are going through um menopause to boost things and yeah, be, be super young. So there's, there's a lot of arguments even within the naturopathic community who, um, you know, we're, we're, will often use if we've got prescribing rights, like I don't have prescribing rights in Alberta. It's all very political, but if I was in BC, for example, um, I would be able to prescribe bioidenticals. Um, so there's definitely times and places where we can do things like certainly, for example, like if, if someone was, um, way younger not the age of menopause but for whatever reason x y or z had to have like a total hysterectomy right then we could use bioidentical hormones estrogens and progesterones and those sorts of things to sort of bring back kind of those um hormones to support the body because it's like oh my gosh no you're 35 like you shouldn't be in menopause and and um it can help protect bone density and things like right. that and so um yeah I, I don't know a ton about suzanne summers and sort of what her push was but I think there's definitely a place where um, there are some protocols out there that I think are way too heavy handed and way too much when it comes to hormones, because as, as much as we'd love to all stay 25 forever, like that's also not normal and like not, not right. what um, sort of aging and, and life and, and that kind of thing looks like. I don't want women to be afraid to age. And I know that we are, and we're afraid to get age spots and afraid to get wrinkles and like all that sort of stuff. But I think it's, it's, you know, it's, we need to think of them as sort of not our, our things that we need to stress about, but sort of that we've added wisdom and we've yeah. learned so many things. And it's really, you know, just such a, another huge area where women are like shamed and made to feel bad about themselves. Yeah. And I definitely think that, um, that like being so proud of that wisdom that you have and, you know, loving what your body has survived through and yeah all those things really matters. And th that goes back to that mindset because even like you can stress yourself out a lot in your mind, 
even when things aren't I'm even. Not sure I understand. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's Siri. <laughs> Siri doesn't understand. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Siri. Um, but yeah, so I think that's so important in the mindset too. And I don't, um, bioidenticals then, is that like some way of creating a, a synthetic hormone that they think looks bioidentical to your actual hormones? Is that what that means? Yeah, there's sort of different ways they can do it. So depending on what kind of formulation you're getting, there's different prescriptions for things. So, um, it, you know, it's it's prescribing estradiol or it's prescribing progesterone or those kinds of things. And then there's different ways you can take them. You can do some of them topically, some of them orally. Um, there's, yeah, there's, there's quite nuances to it because, I mean, we learned all about it in school, but because I, I'm not able to prescribe it in Alberta, I definitely have not kept up with um, sort of what those protocols and things look like just because we we've been forced to use other options for things and so there there are lots of other options for a lot of different cases for sure that's interesting um do you have any recommendations for foods that are optimal during ovulation or shark week other than quarter pounders and chocolate so really interestingly, I mean, it's it's always important to look at what you're craving and sort of why you're craving it. So, you know, food is, and our connection with food, especially as women is, and, and for men too, but I really, I think particularly for women, it's so important to look at, you know, are you are you craving those things because you're feeling super anxious and you need that, that like sort of dopamine hit, that serotonin hit to right. make you feel better? Um, are you, you know, a lot of people will talk about, um, concerns around the connection between if you're craving chocolate, like, does that really mean that you're you're low in magnesium or things like that? And sometimes we see that that's the case and other times it doesn't correlate so well, but often it's that sugar, it's that calming, it's that treat, it's that just sort of making yourself feel better. But again, generally, I would encourage that if if that's the case and you're seeing these huge fluctuations in how you're feeling or what you're craving or those kinds of things that like we can help sort that out so that you're feeling way more balanced and that you're not getting these, these huge ebbs and flows of um, how everything is feeling inside. But still eat. Um, but but generally too. Well, I, I think, I think <laughs> um, quarter pounders probably are, especially McDonald's quarter pounders, probably not the way to go with things. And, and really, um, often if, if women are struggling with hormonal things, the more sort of, um, I don't want to be too, I feel like it's such an overused, overabused term, but like anti-inflammatory kinds of things, but like oh, yeah. your body's going to feel so much better if you eat and provide it with the nutrients and things that it needs versus, you know, eating a whole bunch of garbage is just going to make you feel crappy in 30 minutes after that sort of dopamine serotonin hit has worn off. Um, and then you're like feeling super awful and bloated and um, those kinds of things. So I think as much as you're, again, if you're like, oh body, like I'm so sorry, you're not feeling well, here's right. a bunch of garbage to eat. It should be like, oh no, I like, I'm sorry, you're not feeling well. Here's a bunch of really nutrient dense foods is going to help you feel better. Yeah, that's true. Which I know okay. can be really hard when you're in the midst of it, but that's definitely the goal for things is to get things balanced. So that's not feeling like that crazy ups and downs so much. And then really to just nourish and feed and provide ourselves with sort of the, the best that we can, because, because we, we love ourselves and we want ourselves to feel really good. No, totally. What are some common like hormone issues that you see in your practice? Like what are the most common ones? I would say I see definitely a ton of like PMS. I see a lot of acne, um, water retention, breast tenderness, heavy periods, like you were talking about before, um, spotting between periods, cramping, um, a lot of like imbalances for things. 
um, yeah, I'd say those are, those are sort of the, the big common ones for sure. And then we also see some different ones that are more related to being on like the pill or having an IUD in. So some women, for example, especially if they get the copper IUD, will have a lot of trouble with like heavy bleeding or cramping and those kinds of things, especially at the beginning. And there's actually things we can do to support that as well. Um, but then we also can see women have huge mood changes. Um, if they're put on a birth control pill that just doesn't, doesn't jive with how their bodies are feeling for things. I remember when I was young, I was put on the pill for terrible period cramps and I had to try a bunch of different ones because one of them made me feel like I was going insane. Like I was so moody, like constantly. Um, and it took quite a long time to find a pill option that, again, was just like band-aiding symptoms. It's yeah. like, just deal with the cramps and be done. Like I wasn't sexually active and didn't need to be on the pill. Um, and so it was it's sort of too bad because I think that, that happens a lot. Right. I actually went, I wasn't getting periods. And at 17, I went to a gynecologist and I wasn't having sex either, but I went to a gynecologist and I said, should I go on the pill so that it regulates me? And she's like, well, we're not going to regulate something that's not happening. Like there's right. And I was like, Oh, so she was like, let's just see if you kind of like grow into your own. Like if you, if you start to ovulate, like I wasn't ovulating. And then by 25, my periods were totally normal. Like, you know, 32 days apart sort of thing, but it did, it took a long time. So I think remembering too, that we're not all cookie cutter. And that was like at 17. So I mean, when you're young and your periods are starting, some people might be frequent, some people might be like less frequent, right? And stuff and still checking maybe with your practitioner, but recognizing that we're not all the same. Um, With those hormone, like with those pills and IUDs, like birth control pills and IUDs, those make me really apprehensive. I feel like when I think about those, how hard, like if your body's trying to do a natural process every month, how bad is it to stop that? Like, am I being unreasonable so, in my guts that I feel not good about it? it? It's so individual. And unfortunately, that's that's sort of the, the short end of the answer for things that I see a ton of women who are on um, either the pill or have an IUD and they do fantastic with them. They feel great. They don't have any issues. Like things are, things are really nice. Um, they have no struggles, but I also see a sort of a, I have a bit of a biased view on the other hand, because I see the other set of women who comes in on these things and they're a disaster. Um, and so things are all over the place. They're having weird pains. They're having mood swings. Their periods are super heavy or, you know, they're, they're having spotting in between their periods. And so there's, there's lots of things again, that, that, um, can be balanced or supported in different ways. Um, and again, depending on what the reason for going on, um, either birth control, oral birth control, or having an IUD put in, um, I think that it's, it's really, I'm not going to tell a woman to like, no, don't do this, but we would talk through and be like, okay, let's talk about why you want to do it. Let's talk about the potential for what could happen. And then if they're like, oh, I, I want to go on it because, you know, I'm, I'm getting really bad PMS and crazy period cramps. And I just feel super awful the whole time. And my periods are super short. So it's like, I'm getting, I'm feeling like this a ton and it's like, okay, we can sort that out without you having to go on the pill. Right. right. But if it's like, um, you know, they're, they're wanting that birth control side of things. Um, I think that's the other thing that we, we need to have as, as women in a couple where there are concerns about pregnancy, um, that it's, it's, it's not, and shouldn't just be the women's job to worry Agreed. about, 
um, trying to avoid pregnancy. Yeah. And so I think there really needs to be more done and uh, the men need to come in um, and have a play a larger role with that because the things that, that women end up having to go through sometimes either on the pill or with an IUD um, are ridiculous. And I don't think that if, Ludicrous. if men were offered the same thing, I don't think they would do it. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I, yeah, I just, I think it has to be a two-way street and so little of it is anyway, right? But just because we give birth, we carry babies, like that's what happens. But then like cut us some slack and get a vasectomy, okay? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. Or certainly, you know, like help us, help us with, you know, a whole bunch of different things, whether you're wanting to do the natural, more like natural family planning method where you're looking at your temperature, you're figuring out what your cervical mucus looks like, your cervical height, um, you know, these sorts of things, or, you know, you can, if you're, especially if you're thinking about getting pregnant or um, even trying to avoid pregnancy and you're just curious, you can get ovulation strip tests, which is looking for um, a spike in your luteinizing hormone. Um, but that can give you a really good idea too of when you're ovulating, whether or not you're trying to get pregnant so that if you are trying to get pregnant, then you know when the best times to try to conceive are. And if you're trying not to get pregnant, you know when you have to be extra careful in terms of um, what you're doing or, or using other, um, other methods to prevent pregnancy. Um, and so- yeah, I think that's, it's, it's really, it's really important. Talk a little bit about people trying to get pregnant. Um, I have, I have one friend who's looking to, you know, in the next little bit here, get pregnant. She listens to all to you all the time. And she said that these are her favorite episodes. So um, to answer, okay. she didn't ask a question, but I'm going to make one up for her. So to those girls looking to op- be as optimal in their body as possible, I always tell them eat full fat yogurt. <laughs> like the 10%. So I'm sure there are a lot um, better things that you could tell them, but are there specific things that you'd recommend for girls who are looking to, you know, get pregnant in the next few months of things they can do to just make sure their body is just like happy and ready to make a baby? I think you've sort of already summed it up, but really it's like, how balanced are your hormones? What are you eating? How are you sleeping? What are your stress levels looking like? Cause especially if, if things are super crazy, you know what we don't have time for a baby. Right. <laughs> and so our, our body really knows that. And so like, That's if we're true. stuck in fight or flight mode and our bodies are super freaking out. And if we go back to sort of historically evolutionary times and we're running from saber tooth tigers, like that's not the time to procreate and have kids. Right. And so, so, so much of that is, is a really huge part of things. So as much as we can optimize everything pre trying to start getting pregnant, I think that's really important. The other thing that I think is so important is, is looking at our toxicant exposure to things. So it's like, you know, what, what's in your makeup, what's in your shampoo, what are you using for laundry detergent? What's in your water? Like, are you, do you live near a major freeway that you're breathing in vehicle exhaust all the time? Like literally there are very clear and obvious studies linking a lot of these things from stuff in our makeup to stuff that's in the air and the water and the food that we're eating that, that are, are messing with our hormones so much that we're seeing these crazy rates of infertility spiking. So I would say like as, as early as you can, and certainly just for your own health, like whether or not you want to, or are trying to have kids, um, limiting your exposure to a lot of the environmental toxicants is, is so, so important. Um, the other thing that you definitely want to do is connect with a naturopathic doctor, because there's a lot of things supplement wise that we can do to optimize egg health and to optimize Mm. fertility in general. And 
again, bringing the men back into this, it's not just about the women, it's optimizing things for the men too, right? Because the sperm is half the battle. And really interestingly, the, the, the rates of, and, and looking at the health of sperm, it's declined so much in recent decades. It, it, it's way worse in terms of numbers and abnormalities and issues with sperm than it ever used to be. And so it's not just about optimizing things as women. It's, it's making sure that the, the men are really doing things too. That's like fascinating. Like that blows my mind what you just said about men's sperm. And I think, um, now this is totally stereotypical, but I'm sure there are no men listening to this episode. And if they were listening, they already shut it off when I said like discharge. So I think it's safe to say um, women <laughs> naturally, mostly out of an, um, an first an effort, an effort to look good, women try to take better care of their, or women take, oh my gosh, I can't talk. Women take better care of their bodies because usually it's in an effort to, you know, stay thin or whatever it is. But women, I feel like are the ones, you know, caring what's in the lunches, paying attention to what they put in their bodies, you know, making themselves their best self basically. And so that's where I feel like that's so interesting because men aren't likely to take vitamins the same way a woman would or to do some of those things that are optimizing your hormone health. That's really cool that you said that. Yeah. And as, as just like a super quick side note, a huge thing for sperm for sperm, for sure, but certainly also for our ovaries as well is people need to stop carrying their cell phones in their pockets. Oh, amen. Or sleeping with it beside their head, like put it in airplane mode. Yeah. Huge. Don't have it. Certainly for fertility. Yeah. We know that we know that cell phones in pockets will, will affect sperm quality and levels. Okay. And I have to say that's for my friend, Teresa, who is also, we co-manage this whole Island together. So we're very stressed out. <laughs> so I'm going to be like, Teresa, just so you know, I'm going to take on all your work so you can get pregnant because we're in flight or flight, fight or flight a lot in our jobs. And so, yeah, yeah that's interesting to, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good. So no, that's awesome. This was all so helpful. And I'm, I'm really excited to share this episode with people and I want them to keep sending in their questions because we want to know what they want answers for. So, yeah. And one thing that I just want to add really quickly is that there is a really big difference between um, hormonal symptoms or things that you're experiencing that are common versus normal. So, you know, Hmm. it's, it's common that women are getting, getting huge period cramps or they're getting acne before their periods or, you know, they're spotting or cramp, like whatever it is, that's all really common but it's not normal, if that makes sense. And so I feel like we've been sold, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, this, this false bill of goods that like, oh no, that's expected. Like I literally have women who are like, I have crazy cramping for like three days, but like, so do my mom and my sister. And that's like normal. And it'll, I expect that it'll always be like that. And they like have no desire to even fix it because they don't even realize that it's a problem. Right. So doing that, that more connecting with our bodies again, and then asking ourselves the question. Yeah. That you've mentioned spotting in between periods a number of times. I've never had that. I've never had that. Um, but is that, that's a pretty bad warning sign spotting between periods. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it just means that something is off in a, in a big way that needs sorting oh, okay. out. There can be bigger concerns. Um, the bigger concern, um, around that would be like, if a woman is postmenopausal and hasn't had a period in a long time and suddenly she's getting spotting, 
that's not good. Um, that needs to be checked out like right away. You need to go to either your MD or, or see a gynecologist and get that checked out because there's some um, sort of cancer scare kinds of things that we just want to double check and make sure aren't happening. But generally for like younger women spotting between periods just means that hormones are imbalanced enough that we're, we're getting a little bit of um, bleeding when we shouldn't. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's something that you've said a number of times. And I've kind of thought I should ask about that because I feel like there probably are a lot of women that have that. And because it's not a ton of blood, I feel like often, like you said, we're just like, Oh, it's normal. It's probably normal. And I think we also like, yeah, don't want to be scared. Right. And it is kind of, our bodies are hard yeah. to figure out. They're, they're complex. There's a lot of stuff happening. Right. And so, um, but that's really, really good advice. And I think, People need to look up a naturopath wherever they are. And I think getting, you know, that physical done and having your blood work tested. And then when I get the doctor's requisition, I check off other things. I'm like, I'd actually like to know my cholesterol. Yeah, I can't comment on that. Don't do that. You'll get, you'll get in trouble, but you, you do you. Uh, I will never tell a patient to do that. That's uh, I've never gotten um, in trouble before. I feel like they're too busy to notice that they didn't check it themselves. Yeah. Okay. So don't take my advice, but it definitely worked yeah. for me. So anyways, but thanks. I'm not, I'm not sure what we're going to pop on here with next time, but we'll keep waiting for more questions from our listeners. And thanks so much, Dr. Shannon, you always enlighten us. Oh, very good. You're very welcome. Well, that was so much fun. Thanks so much for being here. Please click subscribe, rate and review this podcast, share it with everyone you know, and I will be back here next week with more stories, more courage, more vulnerability, and just a little more Jody to brighten your day.